listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast for Sunday, July the 16th. He's a contributor with Sportsnet, and you know him on Twitter as Dow of Steeb, one of the original and most influential writers on all things Blue Jays baseball across the country. He'll be joining me for an exclusive where we talk about these Toronto Blue Jays. And, uh, well, quite frankly, I don't know what to say. Uh, There's a very good chance that if you're listening to my voice and enjoying this podcast, you're already aware of what happened in Detroit as the Blue Jays struggled mightily against the Tigers this weekend and ended up losing in extra innings, 6-5 to in the bottom of the 11th, a walk to Miguel Cabrera from Lucas Harrell to Miguel Montero. I don't even know where to begin on how to respond to that sequence of words all thrown together. It's not pretty. Gibby found himself having to juggle the bullpen using his best pitchers early and once again was outlasted by a team on the road that two days earlier had a closed-door team meeting in an effort to try to rejuvenate their season. Well, mission accomplished at the expense of the Blue Jays. For Toronto now, this means having to regroup and get ready to face the Boston Red Sox, which is the worst kind of reward ever. Not that they're deserving of a reward per se, but it's not a good situation where you're going to be facing now a team that uh, is playing well and is essentially a team that can completely knock out your entire season if you get swept. Following that, they're going to hit Cleveland to see Mr. Edwin after all this time in his new park. And uh, needless to say, it doesn't get easier for the Toronto Blue Jays. So wins are absolutely crucial. The team once again finds itself facing the scorn of fans, but there are many who still understand that there is time left in the season and that if a team simply runs off a week or two of excellent baseball, it's amazing how quickly the season can change. But it's also at this point where I begin to sound like a broken record. So rather than bore you, I'm going to bring on my exclusive guest, Dow of Steve. Judgment after judgment after judgment. And this is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show because I, you know, I want to ask you point blank um, in the least obtuse ways, your impression of this 2017 team literally to date with this terrible extra innings loss and how it compares to previous years. And I know, Dow, that you've watched the Jays for a very, very long time. So give me your take. What's going on? What are your thoughts on this team? Yeah, well, you know, this is uh, this is not uh, a fun team to watch at this point, you know, and and this is a team that's uh, that I I think, you know, it's not just the fact that they've lost, but they, they don't they don't especially look good uh, at it. It's not like you're watching them and saying, oh, it's a lot of heartbreak and oh, it's it's so close and maybe a few bounces here, a few bounces there. It's they they're they're a team that just does not look really uh, great at the plate. They they look slow on the base paths. Um, the the middle of the the bullpen and the middle of bullpens are always sort of mushy and and um, and dodgy. But you know this is a this is a team that just hasn't been a real fun hang this year. And uh, and so I, I I don't know I I would would I guess I've been been dreaming about 
the the ways in which this could have, team could have been better, and that's not typical of me to to start mm-hmm. to think about what could be or what could have been. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's an old team that's reaching kind of the end of a cycle, and you know, you can look and see that there's some reasons for optimism for 2019 and 2020 and 2021, but. Somehow they've got to get through this season and next season, and uh, and see whether or not if they can uh, remain somewhat competitive. Well, from from a baseball perspective, uh, knowing what's involved to go from one generation of a team to another, uh, I think you'll agree. We always want that process to be as painless as it possibly could. But then, if we think about it, in order for in order for the next generation to happen, there has to be a certain threshold of fans expecting that this team is going to just stop competing for an indeterminate amount of time. Is that a fair point? Do they have to start losing badly for people to appreciate that one day they can win again? Or can you plug up these holes and address the fact that it's been an underachieving team for most of the year and hope maybe that they can recover? You know, I, I think I, I think that they can probably go through uh, a short period of not being competitive. And I would say uh, that potentially that's the remainder of this season. And if they were to choose to start sending guys out now, mind you, the, the guys who, who they would have had the opportunity to send out aren't playing well enough, maybe at this point to, to, uh, to create enough value for themselves. But, you know, I don't, I don't feel like the, the three year tear it down uh, model is something that the Blue Jays are going to need to do in the same way that say the Astros did. Cause the Astros, when they were getting to the end of their cycle, I mean, they were a really bad team in the last years of, of uh, their kind of veteran cycle where they did tear it down. And, you know, they, they, I think had more profound, uh, more profound issues. You know, the the Jays still have Roberto Osuna and they have Marcus Stroman and they have uh, Aaron Sanchez. And so, you know, I mean, those are building blocks. Those are pieces that you can build on. They've still got another year of control of, of uh, Josh Donaldson. Uh, you know, like there's, there's ways for them to, to, to be a good team. But I, I think that there are, there are a couple of points on the roster here where they um, it's time for, for uh, something new to be cycled into that, uh, that place. Yeah. It is, it is fascinating, isn't it? To look back and maybe highlight the exact moment where something that should have progressed a certain way with a certain destiny just fell off into a completely alternative reality. And I'm thinking of the blueprint that was the Anthopolis teams, you know, his era, the things that he tried to accomplish with the promise of five-year plans. And, you know, the poor guy always tried his best. I I never fault Anthopolis. I don't know how you feel, but I've I've never faulted him for the effort he made. And even though it's easy to criticize the way that he threw away the assets, and boy, did he throw away a lot of assets that we sure could use right now with today's team and the way that they bridge the the farm team. But when you look back and 
you see all the things he did. You ask yourself what would have happened if he just stayed the course, if Rodgers had not installed a, a Shapiro-Atkins GM front uh, or United front office and then maybe continued with a, with a president who had a blank check policy and a GM who was willing to spend up to his credit limit? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I wonder how much difference there would be between you know what the what the current regime has done and and what Anthopoulos might have uh, done in the same uh, instance. And you know, I mean, it is interesting that that uh, you know for 2015 and 2016, it was fine to say uh, trade every prospect uh, who needs them. Uh, you know, flags fly forever, and we want to go. Uh, but you know this is this is where the rent comes due on some of those moves and you know having said that i mean there's there's a limited number of those guys who were sent out in uh, 2015 who i think would really make a, a significant impact on on this team uh, at this point i i don't think there's any sort of obvious like Jeff Bagwell type trade uh, regrets that that they have Uh, so and you know like I I wouldn't I wouldn't do 2015 or 2016 over again like those they they were both uh, fun uh, runs and and it was fun to see them really push in I mean that was the thing with Anthopoulos was that he kept pushing in and and at a certain point you were kind of looking at it like uh, you know, how many times can you go all in and, and bust out and still stay at the table? Uh, and, and so somehow he, uh, he managed to, but, you know, I'm, uh, it, it's not, it's not fun to go through that period of, of not being competitive, but um, if the Blue Jays are already down this year towards the bottom of the standings and, uh, you know what they're kind of chasing is a ghost of a chance at the second wild card. You know, I I just think it's probably time to to uh, make as good a use of of this time as they can and see who is worth uh, um, investing in in the system. And and you know that's uh, that's why I, I I like the idea of potentially bringing up say an Anthony Alford. Uh, for the for the last couple of months, not just in September, but to start to get him in as soon as he's healthy enough to to be a regular again, just um, because why not give him the opportunity to to get the major league experience, um, you know, or Dwight Smith, or you know whoever it is, just to kind of see see what you've got and give them some seasoning. I know that was always Earl Weaver's point of view was you know yeah. you develop these guys uh you develop them in the major leagues although i think that was more of a more of something where he talked about pitchers but and that's actually frankly the the spot where the blue jays right now they just don't have i think necessarily much in terms of pitching in the system that's ready to to come up and contribute at this point no absolutely and then that's a byproduct of uh patterns of spending and, and going all in and, and having an unlimited bankroll from, you know, a, a president that uh, was willing to be open-minded enough to give him a chance to pretty much keep his job, because we both know that uh, he would have been let go if not for being able to demonstrate that during his tenure, some kind of success came out of it, and it did, uh, at what price will be debated on for a long time. But I'm wondering 
you know, you've seen these transitory periods. Transitions aren't a stranger to either of us in following this team for decades. And we know some look better than others. Um, and there have been false starts, right? I mean, we think about players like Carlos Delgado or Roy Halladay, you know, very a lot of excitement when they first came up. One almost had a no-hitter. The other one, I think, hit like 13 home runs in, in his first 27 games. And then next thing you know, they're down in the minors and it's a long road. When you look at the future a year or two from now, when you consider the minor league system as you know it and all the hype surrounding Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero Jr., is that, is that a legitimate reason, in your opinion, for every fan to basically be saying we can't wait for baseball in 2019, or is it also maybe a little bit premature? Well, I, I don't know how premature it is. I mean, you know, uh, uh, I think really high-end players have been making their debuts at, you know, 20, 21, 22. Uh, I, I think that... Um, I think that it wouldn't be unreasonable uh, to expect that uh, Bichette and and uh, Vladi could potentially be 2019 regulars, um, which still gives you one season in between, I guess, to to, to sort out. It. But uh, and look, there's there's all sorts of things that can happen. You know, guys uh, guys foul a, a ball off their foot and or they break a handmade bone or whatever it is and and they're never quite the same but um but i i think the other thing that's different now as opposed to some of those uh some of those jays teams in between 93 and 2015 is that you know there were teams in in that span uh that we would have thought about very differently if there had been a wild card or a second wild card um, because there were some of those teams that uh, I think probably would have, uh, would have had a a different narrative around them. They would have been right there um, uh, in in the competition. And, and, and so, and the existence of that wild card structure kind of means that you can, you can, have success and be moving upwards at the same time. So I don't think that there necessarily needs to be a, a several year teardown and, and, and rebuild. Uh, I think that they can, that they can probably retool. Um, but I, I, I do think that there are guys that are on the roster right now who probably don't lend themselves to being part of that retool. Um, and so, you know, someone like, uh, well, two guys who I would pick on would be Steve Pierce and Kendris Morales, and I just I don't I, I, they're veteran hitters and they have something to offer, but in terms of uh, a team sort of emerging out of out of this, I don't see those as the sort of guys who you uh, hang on to in order to uh, yeah. just give. I don't know, just to give uh, 450 to 600 at-bats to, to, uh, to stay afloat. Um, especially knowing, too, that at least with Morales, it's contract-friendly. You'd like to think that there'd be some team interested in taking uh, a still-above-average designated hitter making you know, $11 million. So, I mean, I, the organization gets some credit uh, from me in, in how they were able to build a team that they thought could get it done this year. Because, 
you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about a, a group of underachievers, terrible, terrible underachievers. I mean, the only, would you agree that the only player right now on the roster is overachieving is Justin Smoke? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, the only one who's clearly overachieving, uh, I would say. And there are some guys who I think are achieving exactly at the level that we yeah. uh, should expect. And, and, and maybe that's the problem, you know, like I, I, uh, I, I look at both Darwin Barney and, and uh, Ryan Goins, and I kind of, uh, it, it's not to say that Jason Leblebe, uh sorry, I, I've been nailing that game too. so I well up until it. right now. I'm impressed you got as far as you did. Yeah, Leblebegian. Um It's go. not to say that, that he is the, the great uh, answer to what ails this team, and he probably isn't, uh, you know, uh, in the future, but I just um, I don't think that Goins has been especially good with the glove even this year, and he's been exactly what Ryan Goins is uh, with the bat. And this is coming from someone who I think very early in the season was was ready to to give Ryan Goins the benefit of the doubt. I saw that he had yeah. taken a hitch out of his swing. I thought maybe maybe this is the thing. Maybe this turns him into a guy who can hover around a 700 OPS. And but it's just. I think it's it's about moving on from from certain players, and while at the same time recognizing that uh, you still need to have a roster that's uh, filled with guys who can hang in the in the big leagues, um, and and that's easier said than than done, I suppose. Some of those you know roster spots down between uh, twenty and and twenty five where you're talking about bench guys and, and middle relievers. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's always a bit of a moving target. Having said this, let's do a, uh, let's do a quick time travel to 2019. And I'm going to ask you your opinion. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I think initially, and then maybe you'll tell me if I'm wrong. But when you look at this roster the way it is right now, that's a lot of players that will not be around come 2019. I mean, I'm thinking of the of the starters right now, the way that they were laid out before Liriano got hurt, and that looks like, once again, it's going to be four of the five amigos. And I'm looking at the bullpen, and I'm looking at some of the temporary stopgap measures, including pitchers that were in this game that normally would not have been in this game. And I'm looking at some of the position players and contracts they might want to rid themselves of. Which players do you think... Um, I mean, will this team survive what will effectively be a purge of players, or do you see, or do you see them maybe keeping together as much of it as possible and just dealing with the the high priority pieces and letting it ride so that the kids can prove themselves? I I think that they're sort of in a situation where they have to try and keep as much of it together as possible, um, uh, just because in terms of certainly in terms of high end players, there's there's not a lot um, that out on the market in the next couple of years. And yeah, there, there's a year where it's, you know, Machado and Bryce Harper and whatnot. And if you kind of assume that that's the game that they, uh, that's a game that they might not be uh, playing. There's not a, a lot of other, a lot of other depth in there. So, I mean, I, I, I really do think that Stroman and Sanchez and Osuna are going to end up being the sort of, cornerstones going forward um you know but there was a there was a time when the cornerstones of the blue jays were going to be halliday 
Carpenter and Escobar. And actually, those three guys ended up having really pretty uh, successful uh, MLB careers in the end, but just um, not necessarily all of them in uh, Toronto. Ultimately, none of them in Toronto. Well, and the treatment, too. We remember that in the case of Escobar, I, I don't feel he was ever fully embraced either by the fan base um, or the team. And I think he had significantly better success when he wasn't a Blue Jay. I remember him having a couple of years, and I think it was the National League. Where did he go? Do you remember but, which team? No, he he went he went to Anaheim uh, afterwards. Oh, and the Blue right. Jays. That's right. And 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 actually, it's funny because uh, I've uh, I I can't remember if I've actually written this up or if I've uh, or or if I've just been uh, sitting on it for a while, but it's the, the idea that the Blue Jays are getting close to making the same mistake with, with uh, Roberto Osuna that they did mm-hmm. with uh, Kelvin Escobar, which was that with Escobar, they kept, it was really easy for them to throw him back into the closer role when that's what the organization's needs were, as opposed to what was going to, to serve the player best and how the player could sort of grow uh, and, and they would focus on short-term uh, needs for the for the team, and, and so that's how, you know, Escobar kind of got yeah. yanked back and forth, and and I think only in one season far. was he. Yeah, I think only in one season was he ever really like a full-time starter with the Blue Jays, and then went and had a, you know, a bunch of three to four win seasons in in Anaheim subsequently. So uh, and it'll I mean, be interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it'll be interesting that to see uh, what they choose to do with Asuna, um, because again, Asuna ended up in the bullpen because the short-term need of the team was that they needed they needed a back-end bullpen arm, they needed a closer, and and Asuna ended up there, and he's he's excelled, but. Uh, is that how they're going to maximize their investment and their their time that they have? Uh, with him, and, and you know, I, and there there was there were stories that he liked the closer role and wanted to stick there. And I think yeah. I've heard subsequently people whispers saying that no, he's open to the starter role. So we'll see. Well, I I don't know how much stock I'm going to put into this front office and their ability to interface effectively with their players. When when Asuna comes out and makes those comments a few weeks earlier, and I, I had I had Arden Swelling on my show, who actually was the one, if you recall, who broke the whole Asuna mental health story. And I remember thinking to myself that that was a real wake-up call because clearly um, every every front office of every franchise deals with their athletes in completely different ways to try and be successful. And we know that no two organizations are run the same way. And it's, you know, amazing that you mentioned that Escobar perspective because it has a lot of similarities with what's happening with Asuna, I think. And, you know, I mentioned my disdain for what happened in the way that Halliday and Carpenter were treated as well. Those were organizational decisions. Both players were talented pitchers. Both players were handled in different ways, and both pitchers ended up having real success when they were no longer with the team. Um, you know, the real stuff isn't being in the playoffs. The stuff that should matter, not the statistics, but actually being there. And and I hope that this organization will do their best to make sure that they have players who 
are uh, in the right, right roles to succeed and are ready to do something to impress the fans. Because uh, I, I just find too often from watching this group now, I find it hard to believe that so many quality players could all be having years of regression and underachieving this this long in a baseball season. Because I don't know about yeah. you, Dow, but I, I thought the tide would have turned for some of these players. I mean, you and I watched the game today. You and I gnashed our teeth and furrowed our brows today. I don't know what's going on to, to Lewitsky at this point. Apparently, Colorado seems like they're the most brilliant organization on the planet and offloading him because it's, it's astonishing to witness this kind of pedigree collectively struggle this badly. Yeah, no, I, and, um, you know, I, I think a, a line that I always come back to when talking about baseball is nobody knows nothing about baseball. And, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, there, there, there's, there are these moments. I, it's funny because we're talking about Blue Jays history and I think that there's an interesting idea uh, of, uh, of the Blue Jays really, um, uh, they were good developers of, of talent, but not always good utilizers of talent. And I think that um, if you take a look at how Cito used to manage the team and, and um, you know, Gary Joyce has a good, a really good piece about uh, Sean Green uh, somewhere on the Sportsnet site. I'm sure if you were uh you can find that on there. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think back to Sean Green, who in some ways gets overlooked as one of the great Blue Jays, in part because oh, he absolutely. just wasn't utilized in the right way. And, you know, uh, someone like Cito Gaston wanted to wanted to bench him in favor of Ruben Sierra. Why? Well, because Ruben Sierra was the veteran with the, ped, uh, with the pedigree. Yeah. And, you know, I think Cito and... and Paul Beeston, um, uh, who, you know, I think were always very close. And I think that Cito was, was Paul's, um, uh, uh, was Beeston's uh, guru when it came to, uh, to players. And, and, and Cito, I, I think at times had a hard time finding the value in kids he didn't know, but would always be able to point to, you know, the, the veterans and keep Joe Carter hitting fourth for forever. So, uh, so I mean, I, I, I think that we have a team right now that Cito Gaston would have loved. And mm. I'm not sure that that's a great thing. Um, and, uh, you know, and Troy Tulewitzki, I have struggled to try and understand um I think more so I've struggled to try and understand how he could have been so good based on what it is that I I see from him right now. And, you know, like I, he, he has bad strike zone uh, judgment. You know, he took a, he took, he took a ball at the bottom of the, of, of the strike zone today for strike three. And he turned and he gave the umpire guff about it. And I thought, that's that's a strike, dude. Like, and and he argues calls that are clearly, I mean, at, at least as clear as the the robot box that they throw up on the screen can be. But it certainly looks like it to me. And sure. uh, from yeah. from my very cozy position here uh, on the couch, but yeah, I I I struggle to understand. You know, I 
how he how he had those great years because he he hasn't looked he hasn't looked especially great as a Blue Jack. No, he hasn't, and it's it's one of those stories that you'd hope would have a, a happy ending. I mean, he's got his own meta cheer. He's one of those uh, players in baseball that, in his prime, transcended the sport because not only was his name mentioned, uh, his name mentioned as one of the best players in every kind of poll, but he was getting it done at you know on both sides of the field at the same level of almost like Jeter-esque proportion, if you will, for a, you know a comparison of the player that he crossed over with. The messages I received when he was traded to Toronto were split right down the middle between many people who were thrilled that he was coming to Toronto and the other half that were convinced that Colorado knew something about him, which is why they broke that promise. You you remember that the melodrama around the commitment that was given by the GM and, and I kept thinking to myself, that's really strange. Why is that being played up really so much? I mean, that happens all the time in sports, right? Promises get broken all the time. And now I begin to realize that Colorado was insistent on, on getting rid of him not just because they had in Trevor Story a, a great player in the you know prospect pool they can call upon, but I think you'll agree, Dow, they probably knew something we didn't, and now we're seeing the effects of that because it's absolutely inexplicable. Jonah Carey can only defend his split so much, and he's a champion. And I'll tell you, in his last appearance on the fan, I think he was out of he was done. He said something really bad's going on. He's a he's a negative war player. It's not looking good. Yeah, yeah, and you know one of the lessons I think I've learned. Over the last, say, five to ten years or whatever, but certainly in the last five is when you hear bad stuff about the guy who's coming to your team, you should pay it a little bit of heed because, you know, when, say, uh, Yunel Escobar uh, was coming to Toronto and we were hearing from, from Atlanta what a bad dude he was and we were like, oh, well, you know, that's just, Atlanta and they're all a bunch of rednecks and, and uh, intolerant fools and they couldn't possibly love and appreciate Escobar in the same way that we're going to and, you know, give it 18 months and suddenly yeah. you're realizing, wow, maybe they had a point and it's the same with Colby Rasmus and, it's, you know, it's the same with, uh, with Tulowitzki. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I guess sometimes um, letting the Letting some of the the negative perspectives uh, at least into your head as part of your consideration um, is not the worst thing. I don't know. I feel like we're being really downer fans about this whole thing, but maybe yeah. it's just been a crappy season. If they were, if, if they had sixty wins at this point, I think we'd be just talking about how beautiful and awesome baseball is, and summer is amazing, and sunshine is great, and all of this sort of thing but it's it's, it's a, uh yeah it's, it's a sour season ready set spartan race is back for 2018 and we're accepting no excuses barbed wire crawls tire drags spear throws and much more whatever your ability you'll discover the right challenge for you take on our five to 25 kilometer events designed to push you to limits you never knew you could overcome complete an obstacle course race and let adventure back into your life are you ready to unleash your inner spartan warrior visit spartanrace.uk it's a line we straddle i think because i certainly don't like being negative or unrealistic in appreciating what's in front of me 
uh, I've always preached patience. I've been doing it now for, I think, three weeks. And, you know, I began this podcast to coincide with my desire to let people stay as open-minded as possible about this team. But as each week passes and I continue to speak with so many people either involved directly with the team, indirectly covering the team, it amazes me to see that the fans are losing hope that the actual Blue Jays, good ship Blue Jays is still on the high seas and they're still trying to send all the messages that this will be a competitive year and we're not going to do strange things that you'll be uncomfortable with, like trade an MVP caliber player who's under control or get rid of a starter that can bring in prospects. I believe that. I think your, your assertion is spot on. They want to keep this team together. What's in store for us is my question for you. Like, how do you view the remainder of this road trip that's now started so poorly with a series that they should have won or could have won? I shouldn't say should have won. Where do you see this team, say, a month, a month and a half from now? And are you and I going to have conversations looking to the future or still like this philosophizing about the present? Well, I mean, uh, I, I, I think that they're slipping a little bit far down uh, in, in the wild card race. Uh, and, you know, it's nothing that, say, two good weeks wouldn't take care of. And, and if they were to get on to a real hot streak, uh, then then maybe that would be the case. And But, you know, I, I, I ultimately think that the upside uh, of this season is still um, – uh, is still that second wild card, and but uh, the the more realistic take I I, I think is is uh, likely that this is uh, this is going to be this is going to be an unsuccessful year for them, and and something that they're they can retool and 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 retrench and and whatnot. Um, and so I think maybe you know in the last couple of months of the season it's going to be to see you know, what, what sort of game this team, uh, brings and, 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 you know, are the, are the players going to pull the shoot, uh, on the season? Um, it, you know, a couple of years ago, they weren't that far off and they didn't do anything at the trade deadline. And afterwards it really did feel like the team kind of pulled the shoot on the 2014 season. And, you know, there's some of the same guys in the, in, in the clubhouse who were here then and, so I don't know. I, I, I think I, I think that it behooves the organization to get an understanding of what the culture of this team is. And, you know, mm. I'm, I'm probably someone who would have been loath a couple of years ago to talk about culture or clubhouse culture or, or whatnot. But, you know, there's there's a, a, a line in business about how culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And, and I think that <laughs> You know, uh, uh, depending on the mix of players or specific players or whatever it is, I think that they've got to kind of identify who's going to be leading the team going forward and and who are the ones uh, who are maybe dragging it down. Wise words. That's that's uh, that's a process that needs to be done in earnest to understand. You know, as the climate continues to change and if they keep dropping games left, right, and center. I mean, you brought up a great uh, retrospective of the 14, 15, 16 mindset, but I don't remember there there being these kinds of lopsided, demoralizing losses. I mean, this team has kind of excelled in that this year. I think they average on, a, you know, once a week, they'll have the kind of game 
that for players in that clubhouse that are competitive and have the competitive juices flowing, it's got to be tough, don't you think, to have to take your lumps like that, especially when you're losing 19-1 to 1 on a Sunday or losing on Canada Day in front of 45,000 people? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, and I, I've been... I've been racking my brains as to, you know, what exactly is happening there. And I guess it is, you know, underscoring the fact that it is a weak bullpen and uh, they're just, you know, in a game where they get behind by four or five, they can't help themselves from falling further behind to Mm -hmm. start to fall behind by, you know, 10 and 11 and, and, and and I feel like that's the way that it has been playing uh, this year. It's not like it's not it's not a team hanging an eight run inning in the first inning. It's it's teams getting a couple of runs up and then hanging the the six or seven run inning you know later on once they're into the bullpen. So um, so you know I I, I it, it does have to be demoralizing for for these guys and especially I think. You know, for for some of the guys who are into their 30s and are really looking at, um, you know, I don't know if it's exactly chasing championships or, or, uh, but you know, I, I I think that looking at the way that these games are are playing out and and the way the season is playing out, they, um, uh, I, I'm sure it must be hard to show up for for work. Uh, some days for some of these guys. Well, and and it's also worth mentioning that we're talking about a group that is comprised of a lot of reclamation projects. These aren't guys who were elite players from the get-go and made the league at the age of 21. A lot of these players, like uh, Bautista and Donaldson and Estrada, are players that, in the early stage of their careers, a lot of organizations had pretty much written them off for being utility or fringe and and then to become players who do accomplish something noteworthy and and they have that's the thing this team has on its roster some really really impactful players at various stages in their career whether it was you know winning an ERA title or whether it's you know holding runners to a 2 or 3 average or whether it's winning 20 games I think that's what makes this so frustrating for Blue Jays fans they look at the roster and they realize that yes the media is correct in saying the talent is there. The talent just needs to pick up the slack and start demonstrating exactly why they're given these delicious uh, guaranteed contracts, right? You can imagine yeah. what life would be like if it were an NFL-style management of payroll. Oh, uh, I, Yeah, I mean, I, I like the fact that, that teams have to take responsibility for the contracts that they sign. and and But, you know, I, I, I think uh, you... You kind of alluded to uh, Marco Estrada, and I think that is the one uh, piece that is maybe the most frustrating and yeah. bewildering uh, at this point. And you know, today's starter, uh, you know, I, I, I just there's there's something that's that's not right uh, with him. And mind you, he's a guy who has pitched when he was unhealthy for two years and pitched great when he was unhealthy and nursing his back and whatnot. Maybe his back is healthy and how he can't pitch well, that he's, that he's healthy. I, I'm not sure what it is, but just if, if we had, uh, if Marco Estrada was pitching 
like a like a, a, a number two playoff starter uh, in the way that he has in the last couple of years. Uh, you know, I think that this is a real different season. And, I agree. And, you know, uh, like three or four wins one way or another, um, and suddenly this this whole season starts to look a little bit different. So, uh, and and you know, I mean, it, it it shouldn't surprise us in some ways because you know they lost Sanchez, they lost Liriano for a period. Estrada hasn't quite looked right. Uh, um, they lost Hap for uh, a month. Like, there's a lot of stuff that when we go back and we do the final tally, it'll it'll make sense to us why the season ended up the way it did. But um, in the moment, it certainly doesn't make it any easier to to sit through three hours of a game. Uh, and I guess today, more like four hours of a game, and and have it end in the way that it did. It's it's truly is gut wrenching in that regard, but but we we talk about this all the time. It's baseball. Tomorrow is a new day. It's another game. There are still 69, I think, left in the schedule. So for all we know, it'll be Groundhog uh, you know Groundhog Day for you and I talking about this at least for the next few weeks, because I I think this team will just find a way to keep scuffling to keep themselves at least on the radar. But at some point. The realization, I think, will sink in for everyone involved that um, this team is just not going to have to even whisper having any designs on the postseason, which, as frustrating as that is, for someone like you and I who expected them to be maybe an 88, 89, 90-win team and compete for the wild card, you simply can't do that when your starters, the five guys that were so healthy last year and money in the bank, I think are combined 22 and 24, that those aren't contender numbers. First of all, you're nowhere near the magic number of 50 wins as a group to put you in that position. And secondly, you just can't stay healthy. I think Liriano is going to be shelved after today as well. So is that, is that something they should wear? Is, a, is that a mulligan factor? Is that something they should wear as a reason for, for this year? Or will it simply obscure the fact that regardless of the injuries, players didn't perform when they needed to? Yeah. Well, and and going back to your point about what sort of team we thought that this might be coming into the season, you know, I I, I thought that this was an 84 or 85 win team that, you know, uh, if things played their way, then they could get themselves up to uh, anywhere up to 90 wins, but maybe, you know, the 88 or 89 that would get them into the postseason. And, you know, instead they're uh, – they're maybe an 84 win team that lots of stuff is going wrong and they end up as a 78 win team. So, you know, it'll, it'll be funny to see how we can, how, how we, and when I say we, I guess I'm just talking about fans in general, but how people approach these last few months and whether or not if, uh, I I have a suspicion that, uh, I have a suspicion that the chase for 500 is going to end up being as much a narrative as anything. Um, in the, in the waning months of this season mm-hmm. and that, you know, and who knows, uh, I, 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 I joked a few weeks ago that, that the Blue Jays were going to end up 80 and 81 and having their last game of the season rained out. So they, uh, so that they would end one, one game under 500 <laughs> for the year. Um, 
that that seems to me like the most appropriate end to this season. I certainly hope that that's not the case. I mean, October baseball is fun and 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 I'd love to 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 spend the time this year uh watching the Blue Jays in October again, but um I I, I just I I just have a feeling that 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 might be what we're looking at down the stretch. And considering everything that's happened this year, it would not surprise me in the least bit. If you really factor in all the shenanigans, the hijinks, the Murphy's Law opportunities for absolute silliness with this ball club, um, listen, the script isn't done yet. We've still got two and a half months of baseball, but I've got a feeling that in some ways the best is still yet to come. We ain't seen nothing yet when it comes to what this Blue Jays baseball team is all about in 2017. Dow, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to chat with me this evening. Before I let you go, um, Jays Journal podcast is listened to by a lot of different different demographics and all over the world. I want you to tell my listeners maybe what you're up to and how they can find you and what they need to know in terms of being able to reach you. Uh, yeah, so uh, thanks. Uh, the best place uh, to reach me um, usually on an ongoing basis is on the Twitter machine. Uh, Dow of Steve is, the, uh, is uh, my Twitter, uh, and that's uh, where... Um, you'll find me spending excessive amounts of my time. And then uh, every Friday I have a piece that go, runs on sportsnet.ca. Um, so that, uh, that's uh, the other place where you'll find uh, some of my writing. And um, aside from that, um, you know, I, 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 I actually, I, I have to say that this year I've been doing a lot more writing than I had in the last couple of years. I think I've mm-hmm. been a bit more sporadic and, and I'm uh, sticking to a, a very strict weekly schedule. So, um, and I'm hoping that that means that uh, getting uh, regular uh, reps means that uh, the writing is getting better, but I'll leave that up to the people to decide. His name is Dallas Steeb. You can find him on Sportsnet and on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Harry.